Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. We can start to feel it, can't we? Today is the first full day of spring. Two weeks from today is Easter. This past week, Atlanta moved from phase one to phase two in its uh, move toward reopening. Things are getting close. And I hope you'll watch the signal closely this week because there may be some coming announcements about all how all of this good news is impacting our community of faith. Today, we are still in Jeremiah. We have been throughout the season of Lent, and today's reading comes from the 31st chapter, beginning in verse 31, reading through verse 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Psychologist uh, Rollo May says, it's an ironic habit of human beings to run faster when they've lost their way. Well, ain't it so? For too many of us, our flirtations with rebellion don't create a kind of awakening and pull us back into our lane Instead, for most of us, we run a little faster. Most of us don't look in the mirror and say, oh my, what have I done? I must repent. Instead, it's a tendency that our rebellion kind of gains oxygen and fuel and moves us faster and faster into the ways of destruction. Well, throughout the season of Lent, I've been tracing the story of Israel's betrayal of the covenant as it's told in the book of Jeremiah. The people of God have lost their way and now they're running even faster. They're racing as though the covenant with God uh, was something, you know, that their grandparents talked about, old people stuff. Instead, now they're living fast and playing hard and flirting with some of the fun gods of Baal 
and just moving farther and farther away from God's hope and God's covenant agreement. And the prophet Jeremiah is calling out a clear warning. He says, there's an aggressive approaching Babylonian army to the nor- they're north of us and they're heading our way. The only hope is repentance. Our only hope is a fierce return to being loyal to the covenant. And Jeremiah, we've been tracing it throughout these weeks. He has preached this and preached it until he's hoarse. But the response of the people has been, nah, we're God's chosen people. Didn't you read Exodus? We've got this. Hush up, old man. And now, now we're in chapter 31, and the bad thing has happened. King Nebuchadnezzar's army has invaded. They've captured and looted and destroyed. And his army's most infamous act was the destruction of the holy temple of Solomon. Now here in chapter 31, the temple is in ashes. The Israelites have been driven from their homes. They're in exile. They're basically homeless. Now some Babylonian soldiers sleeping in their bed and eating from their fridge, and they're on the run. And this new situation has created a theological problem, too. Here's the theological dilemma. Either the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is too weak to defend them, or... You see, in that case, if, if God is too weak, then they've misplaced their, uh, their trust. Or the other possibility might be that as the prophet was saying, God is sick of their betrayal of the covenant. God has cast them aside permanently, done with them. Divorce is final. So a Jer- Jeremiah in our scripture for today addresses this issue Head on, and and maybe maybe by now he's heard, he's earned the right to be heard, right? I mean, all that he said has come true, so maybe they're listening a little more closely. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. God is ready to write a new covenant. And the the writer of Hebrews and others in the New Testament have interpreted this for us through the lens of Jesus, making clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of this new covenant. The new covenant did not replace the old covenant. God has never made a covenant God did not keep. But it has authored a new covenant, and we are the heirs of that good news. Jesus is the new covenant, the New Testament. And remember, Jesus himself even even talks about this, tells us the same thing. He he was in the upper room, remember, with the disciples. 
And the Lord Jesus on that night, when he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. There is a new covenant. But it does beg the question, what was wrong with the old one? Well, first of all, God did not put into place a new covenant to make things easier. I mean, like saying, oh, my poor people are having such a hard time keeping the covenant. Maybe I should just back off, cut them some slack, demand less. No, if anything, the new covenant has upped the ante. Listen listen to how Jeremiah describes the new covenant. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put the law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Love, not law. You see, the old covenant with Israel was based on laws, external laws. Do not kill. Well, you could be angry as all get out. You could hate with a white hot passion. You could want to kill. But as long as you didn't go through with it, you'd kept the covenant. Do not commit adultery. Do you know how many Dark betrayals lie on this side of adultery. As long as I didn't commit adultery, it depends on what your definition of is is. Well, you hadn't broken the covenant. The old covenant was based on laws, external laws. So in a way, the new covenant has been made more difficult, right? I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, now the law is not external. It's written within and the betrayal lies in the motivation, the condition of the heart as much as in the act itself. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, But I say unto you, that's harder. Don't you think that's harder? But, but on the other hand, the new covenant may be easier. You you remember when you first learned to drive a car, you drove according to the rules. You did everything by the rules. Got in, seatbelt, check, rear view, okay. You start out, you're approaching the stop sign, and you're very conscious to press the brake slowly, because if you don't press the brake slowly, you'll jerk the car. You have to remember to press the brakes just so. 
And if you get to the stop sign and you're turning, you have to remember to put your blinker on. You have to click that little thing so the turn signal will come on. And then, remember, it, accelerate gently. You have to accelerate gently. If you don't, the car will jerk on you. And on occasion, you should be checking in the rearview mirror because you need to be aware not only of what's in front of you, but you need to be aware of what's behind you. And by the time you get to the grocery store, two miles away, you're so frazzled, you can hardly move. Well, you don't drive like that anymore. You still obey the rules, but now they're internalized. You, you, you don't think about it. You've trained yourself into right instincts, which actually makes you a better driver, and you have the ability to respond to the conditions you're in. Right instincts have taken over. The law is still important. And you're obeying the law. You just don't pay that much attention to it. Because you've internalized the law. It's written on your heart, which makes it easier. The other thing, the biggest thing, the most important thing, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because Easter's still a couple of weeks away, but the most liberating part of the new covenant is forgiveness. The new covenant is marked by the grace of Christ. That's a game changer as far as the new covenant goes, but let's not go there yet. We'll talk about that some more in a couple of weeks, but let's not go there now because we are still in the season of Lent. We're still walking off the distance between who God calls us to be and who we know ourselves to be. We're still in the season of staring into an honest mirror and asking like the Israelites, how far have I gone astray? I talked with a friend this week. He's a week out of rehab. He is 56 days sober. He told me he is right now the happiest he can remember being as an adult. His honest self-assessment led to the realization that his addiction was ruining his life. Do you see this? This, this isn't about the rules. He, he wasn't checking to see what the rules were about legal limits. He, he wasn't Googling American drinking habits so he could grade himself on the curve. He, he wasn't looking up scriptures so he could find a loophole. The new covenant was written on his heart. <laughs> and he knows. He examines his own life. Here's the whispers of God's spirit confronting his wandering and calling him home. It, it's written on his heart. And so in the mirror of Lent, he saw clearly that he left the path of God's hope for him and he checked himself into rehab. Courage. Thanks be to God. I had an angry 
TV viewer called me a couple of years back. He was furious. He told me that I was not preaching on sin like I should be. And I mentioned to him, kind of like this sermon, I, I'd preached on sin just two weeks prior. Well, it turns out he had one topic he wanted me to preach about, and it wasn't a temptation that haunts him, but he really wants to see me rail at others. He wasn't interested in looking at the mirror of his own betrayal. Talk about other people's sins, would you? It's a way to avoid and detract. But we know we, we know what our sins are because, well, the law has been written on our hearts. And if we unplug the merry-go-round of our hurried lives and just listen to our heart pumping, we know our own betrayal. God's law and God's hope have been written on our heart. The Old Covenant, the Ten Commandments and a long series of laws that flowed out of those ten, chapter and code, many, many laws. How many steps can I take on the Sabbath before it's considered work? You see, if you, if you get the right answer, you can stay on this side of breaking the covenant whether your heart has changed or not. If my ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, can I save him? Can I do compassionate work on the Sabbath and not break the Sabbath? Or is any work on the Sabbath a violation of the covenant? Just give me a clear, right answer, and then I'll know if I have stayed on this side or that side. It's law, not love. When I was a high school uh, junior or early senior, I don't remember which, it was in that season when I was shopping colleges, uh, my high school youth minister uh, set up a college visit at the small fundamentalist Christian college that had been such an important part of his life and faith journey. So he set up for me an overnight visit there and uh, I was the guest of two really nice guys who were set up for hosting. They had two bunk beds in the room that was just for them. But both of them are on the bottom bunk. They put me up on the top bunk. The next morning at 5.15, a siren hit the campus that just it shot me straight up in the bed at 5.15. I'm looking all... And the two guys, the two guys who were hosting me, are in their bunks, dead to the world. They hadn't moved. Well, I, well, about the time my heart rate got back to normal, at 5.30, it went off again. And this time when it went off, it didn't jolt me quite as much, but I was jolted again. The two guys on the lower bunks, still, eyes closed, head on pillow, but both of them spun in their lower bunk and dropped both feet on the floor. 
Well, a little later that morning, as we're brushing teeth and getting ready and all of that for the day, I asked them to explain to me the whole siren ritual we had just been through. One of them said, oh, here on, uh, at our school, everybody, everybody gets up at the same time. The, the, the siren, is, it's an alarm clock of sorts. We all get up at the same time. That's the rules. But when it goes off the second time at 5.30, we are required to have both feet on the floor. That's the rule. Well, did they break the rule? No, they had both feet on the floor. You can keep all the rules and not have any change of heart. Law or love. God said to Jeremiah, the days are surely coming when I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. It's a, it's a harder commandment to abide by the motivations and not the rules. But it's also a liberating commandment. In some ways easier because practiced work, hours of driving the car, what we call discipleship, makes right living instinctual. Right motivations become a habit. It's actually the mark of Christian maturity. God's Spirit lives within us, calling us into the abundant life that is evidenced by that kind of maturity. It's it's the new covenant written in love. God has never broken a covenant. The only thing in question is whether or not we have the courage to look hard in the mirror and say yes to God's hope. You know. You you know the part of your life God most wants to redeem. Because it's been written on your heart. May you find the courage to say yes to God's call to redemption. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.